Welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport Build exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer at sportsnet.ca. Joining me on the other line, as always, it's Sportsnet's NHL editor, Rory Boylan. You hanging in there still, Ryan? We're all doing well, all relatively doing well. speaking. Yeah, yeah. relatively <laughs> speaking. I've been, as I, you know, one thing that happens is you do bump into people in the neighborhood more because everyone's out for a walk. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been telling people I'm one stage short of hanging by a thread. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not there yet. Um, hanging by two threads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got. I still got a couple. <laughs> you got to um, hold couple attached so yeah we're we're doing what we can and uh yeah definitely getting outside for some safe walks and scooter action when we can my daughter claire now we push her around on this little scooter mabob and she does seem to be enjoying that so uh some small victories nice yeah yeah we're out as well walking when we can we've got a little bit dusting of snow here at times my daughter loves that so take her out in that for a little bit too and then the second kid seems to be on the way here very shortly so we'll see and then i guess on that front ryan you've got a little bit of news yeah yeah Every, well. everyone and tape to tape is in lockstep our family is set to expand as well in uh september so we can just about ice an entire uh, a line <laughs> here pretty soon uh, an entire unit so yeah lots happening in 2020 isn't there rory yeah it's a busy year for tape to tape well everything else is kind of in shutdown mode right now that's, feels. <laughs> that's right well i'll tell you who uh isn't in shutdown mode at least not completely all the guys from the 2011 boston bruins if you missed it they got together for a little rollicking zoom chat and that is one of the things just one we're going to talk to matt porter about matt covers the bruins for the Boston Globe. So we want to talk to him about uh, that little fun online encounter and kind of just the state of the Bruins because it dovetails a little bit with uh, what we're going to talk about in the first block here. Rory, you under underwent a little exercise where you were ranking the teams in the weekly power rankings based on the best player they've drafted outside the first round in the salary cap era. So starting with the 2005 Sidney Crosby draft on through to 2019. Why don't you just take us through some of the interesting points and trends, one of which being when you look at the Bruins and think of what a consistently good team they are, you kind of default to thinking they're probably a team that's done well outside the first round, but that actually hasn't been the case since 05 because of course just before that they killed it with Bergeron and David Krejci who I believe was a third rounder Bergeron second rounder but the Bruins despite being at the top of the standings not at the top of the charts with one notable exception in the salary cap era drafting rounds two through seven one of the feedbacks I got on this note was oh look at these guys they drafted what about Bergeron and Krejci and those guys were drafted before 2005 this was only a salary cap era exercise and you know right away I knew who the best player for Boston was going to be in that stretch it's Brad Marchand second rounder uh second rounder or third rounder third third rounder third third rounder and that was going to be it I just was going through to make sure I'm not forgetting about something or whatever maybe somebody's going to make this a little bit more competitive than I thought but the shocking takeaway for it for me was how little success the Bruins have had drafting outside of the first round in the last 15 years because you think about 
especially in the salary cap era, how important it is to be drafting well because you got to draft and develop and and build your teams out that way. And outside of Marchand, here are the other notable players that Boston drafted outside of round one since 2005. Brandon Carlo, who's fine. Milan Lucic, who contributed to the Bruins for a stretch there, and, and now he's you know definitely a fourth liner. And Vladimir Sabodka, and that's the wow. end of the list. And so, you know, there's one consistently excellent player that they've been able to mine in the last 15 years. And so that, that to me was just an absolutely shocking takeaway because if, if I'll just go into my second point here, you look at the team that competes against Boston the tightest in that Atlantic division, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, they were a great example of a team that has been so consistently strong because they have drafted so well in the last 15 years. Their best player outside of round one was Nikita Kucherov, hands down. But there were some really good players outside of even him, Anthony Sorelli, Braden Point. I mean, both of those guys uh, could potentially be going for Selkie Awards here, you know, and sometime in the near future. Alex Kalorn was another guy that they've gotten. So Tampa Bay really is is a contrast to the Bruins and how they've been built doing it the way that you think teams need to be built in the salary cap era where Boston I mean they've been able to get here through other means free agent signings trades and things like that but they have not been that successful drafting outside of the first round in the salary cap era so what other things jumped out at you putting together this piece that is up at sportsnet.ca for those who want to read it? Just in terms of, you know, how empires are built and maybe sometimes crumble based on a lack of success drafting after the first round. Yeah, so I got a couple of takeaways from it. I guess one was the three teams that to me kind of stood out as really strong drafters outside of round one. Um the Ottawa Senators. I mean, their big guy was Mark Stone for sure, a round six pick. But then you've got some good players even outside of him. Mark Berwicki, Derek Grant has playing a great role in Anaheim. Jacob Silverberg, Robin Lehner, Mike Hoffman, J.G. Pajot, who they just traded away at this deadline. Ryan Zingle had a good stretch for them too. And Drake Batherson looks like someone yeah. who's going to be coming on very soon here to make a huge impact for the Ottawa Senators. So they have had some great success. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins fall into that category. Chris Letang was their guy, but but some of their other names, Jake Muzzin, Brian Rust, Oscar Sundqvist, Matt Murray, Jake Gensel, Tristan Jari, Dominic Simone, you know, some fantastic players there. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets too. I mean, Columbus <laughs> maybe is the best drafting team out of all of these. Cam Atkinson was their best guy. Chris Russell, you know, Steve Mason is not in NHL anymore, but he did win the Calder Trophy his first year. David Savard, Boone Jenner, Jonas Corposalo, Josh Anderson, and then some guys that are making waves, breaking into the team right now. Oliver Bjorkstrand, Elvis Merzlikens, Marcus Nutavara. There are some, I would say, not like superstar players in there, mm -hmm. but definitely the building blocks for good teams that they've been able to put together. All right, so here's what we want to do to put a fine point on this exercise. We're going to go through each round, two through seven, again, in the cap era, starting with the 05 draft, and pick the best player per round. So I'll give you some choices, Rory, and okay. we will settle on, or maybe not settle on, who we think yeah. <laughs> is the best guy. I think maybe it'd be most fun to count it down from seven so your seventh round candidates 
are Anton Strollman, Andre Palat, Freddie Anderson, Asterix, file mm-hmm. that away, mm-hmm. and Patrick Hornquist. Now, Anderson could come back up in round three because he was drafted twice. Originally in 2012, a seventh rounder by Carolina, and then a couple years later by the Anaheim Ducks. So out of that group, Strollman, Palat, Anderson, Hornquist, is there a clear winner in your mind? Yeah, I mean, if we're including Anderson in this, he's a number one goalie in the NHL and a very consistent one at that. So I think I would have to go with him. But since he's got an asterisk next to his name, <laughs> um, I think it's Patrick Hornquist. He was the last player picked in that draft, wasn't he? Like Mr. Irrelevant. And I have to double check. He might be the last one. Let's. Find I believe out. he was. Double check. I believe he was. But he's... I mean, he he's a great playoff player, right? He's that kind of nitty-gritty net front guy that every team needs to be successful, and, and he's had success for sure. Um, you know, my gut almost went to Palat, but I expected more out of him by this time in his career. Like, he was a guy a couple years ago that was just wait, just wait, just wait, and he's a fine player and everything. But I, I think to me, you know, if I'm trying to build a team to win a Stanley Cup, um, between those guys, I'd be very happy with with Patrick Hornquist. So that that's who I would go with here. So yes, Anderson, seventh round by Carolina in 2010, third round by Anaheim in 2012. Patrick Hornquist was Mr. Irrelevant in 2005, the very last pick of the draft by the Nashville Predators. And hilariously enough, the two guys I went back and forth on were Strollman and Palat. I was going to wow. say Palat. And then I was like, man, Strollman's been a 20-minute-a-night defenseman for so long now. Got some Norse votes, you know, fourth place and fifth place votes it's back true. in the day. Yeah. Um, You can have quite a debate. I mean, Freddie Anderson's the guy who could change a team's fortunes the most out of any of those players. And you're right. Hornquist has been such a great, uh, you know, thorny playoff goal scorer. But you could kind of make a case for all four of those guys because, I mean, I wouldn't say Palat's just getting started, but I mean, he is um, so respected as a two-way player and... You know, he's the kind of guy who maybe could get on that short list of wingers who win the Selkie even, you know, so you could kind of make a case for they're all tight. They're all it's pretty tight. It's pretty tight. But you, I mean, definitely Anderson's the guy who could, you know, if you put him on your team tomorrow, he's going to have the biggest impact of any of those guys, you know, when they were at the height of their powers. His role on any team is more than the other. guys. Yes. Round six is going to be uh, a slam dunk. I mean, there are some great names. Cam Atkinson, Jared Spurgeon, Anders Lee, a latecomer to the party, Darcy Kemper. But Mark Stone is the clear winner here in terms of round six picks. I mean, if we're going to have a winger win the Selkie Trophy here for the first time since Gary Lettinen was the last winner of it before Mark Stone was nominated last year. So, you know, Mark Stone is the guy. And his offensive game is finally starting to just take off um, with the Vegas Golden Knights there. So, yeah, he's definitely the slam dunk pick. I mean, if you're building a Team Canada for anything right now, Mark Stone is on that Team Canada. He's got to be, I think. So, runaway winner for sure on that one. I think 
the fifth round is going to have a clear winner, but it is kind of an interesting point in time to be talking about this. I mean, obviously, we're we're rating these guys based on their entire career, not necessarily how good they are this second. But at the same time, you know, that realistically plays into it a bit. So the guys who you will be thinking about are John Klingberg, Connor Hellebuck, Jake Muzzin, Brendan Gallagher. But it's got to be the guy with an Art Ross trophy on his shelf and a Hart trophy nomination as well on his resume. And that's Jamie Benn of the Dallas Stars. Oh, boy. I mean, if we're talking historically who's had the better careers, he's had more years than some of these other guys. It's Ben, But he has fallen off here. I know the Dallas Stars are a team that uh, focus on defense more than scoring. And most people's totals on that team have taken a hit. I wonder if we've seen the best days of Jamie Ben. Though I would, yeah. uh, I came away from that thinking that it's John Klingberg because um, he's still kind of working his way towards his peak years. I think he's number one guy on that Dallas team. Whether or not he stays that way, or Miro Heiskanen becomes the guy, it doesn't matter. It's going to be all like a one A one B thing. You got to ask Lindell as well. But Klingberg is is like a big guy whose style of play fits in really well to the way the game is played right now. So there's no reason to think that he's going to just start to tumble here. I think he could have a really long, sustainable, excellent career for Dallas that might, by the time we look back on it, stretch longer than Jamie Benz. I don't know if he'll win uh, Norris. Does he need to win a Norris to pass a guy like Ben who's got an Art Ross on this list? I'm not really sure because it's just a one-year award. If you're nominated for it three times, is that better? I think that that's going to be a real tough debate. But for me, I would pick Klingberg because I just see, now that we've seen a decline from Ben, I see more longevity for Klingberg, and he's already at the top of his game. Well, either way, great job, Dallas Stars, for finding both of those guys. And hey, Connor Hellebuck will almost certainly get his second Vesna nomination in three years uh, whenever we do awards this year. So there's another guy you can't really tough, sleep yeah. on. Yeah. And Hellebuck is a really interesting one because he's the inside favorite to win the Vesna trophy this year. So if he gets that, maybe he becomes the number one guy from that list. And the reason why I'm not putting him there right now is that I've always kind of been a little skeptical of what he is as a goalie, certainly coming into this year. And it's because, you know, the the year that he was a Vesna finalist was excellent. The following year, not so much. And now you've got this year again. So he's just been a little up and down. And because he's still relatively new to the NHL, I just kind of need to see a little bit more from him to see what's going to stick and what's not and what kind of an NHL goalie he actually is. I feel very confident knowing what John Klingberg is and will be. Round four is another interesting one. I think I know where we land on this, but you've got Keith Yandel in the mix. You've got Nick Chalmerson, obviously just a huge part of those Chicago Blackhawks, three Stanley Cubs playing beside Duncan Keith, just uh, an unbelievably smart uh, defensive player and um, such a great partner for Keith. It comes down to another goalie, Braden Holtby, and a wonderful offensive score, Johnny Gaudreau. I think when you find a guy who can get 95 points in the fourth round, that's your guy. 
I mean, we should have known because for the most part in the cap era, you don't see goalies go in the first round. So obviously it stands to reason they're going in the later rounds and that's where we're seeing them emerge from. But I mean, Holtby's got uh, a, a Vesna, a, a Stanley Cup, most importantly, uh, was a big factor in that cup win for the Capitals in 2018. But would you give the nod to Johnny Gaudreau? You know, it, this is a tough one to have at this point in time, given the season that Holpe had. I mean, is he kind of done as a starter that you can lean on for 60 games? Or what is he? What is his next contract going to look like? It's going to be really incredible to watch. I mean, he did have a Vesna though. So if we're talking about awards, then he gets that. And he followed up that Vesna with a William Jennings trophy the following season too. Like there was a three or maybe four year period in there where Holtby was solidly like with Carey Price in that best goalie in the world kind of debate. Um, Gaudreau has never been in that for a player for the totals that he's able to put up. And there's even this kind of speculation that if um, Calgary didn't come through this year, that he might be a potential trade candidate in the summer as they tried to shake up that core and everything like that. I don't think that conversation would ever have been had about Holtby as long as he was playing on top of his game. So, you know, who are you taking right now? It's Gaudreau because he's still playing well and you kind of got this mystery of what's going to happen with Holtby going forward. What happened this year with him? He fell from a 9-11 save percentage last year to 8.97 this year, a 3-11 goals against average. So that's tough. But if you're looking at their careers... Oh boy, Um, I just might go with Holtby because of the fact for a couple of years, not just one, but a couple of years, he was in the best player in his position debate and Gaudreau's never quite risen to that level. Yeah, Um, that's fair. But that's a really tough one. That's a really tough one given where we're at with both of those players. Well, round three isn't tough. It is going to be Brad Marchand, Chris Letang there as well. Colton Pareko, but what really stood out about round three is if you need a goalie, this is your round. So as we mentioned, Anderson, ultimately a third round pick as well. Matt Murray, Ben Bishop, and I would say the best one of the lot, Jonathan Quick. I mean, I guess you could have maybe a conversation. I mean, Quick's a two-time cup winner. Matt Murray is a two-time cup winner, but you'd have to give the nod to Jonathan Quick out of that crew, right? Yeah, again, it, we're talking about historical, right? Like, how yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. It's, it's I mean, got to be quick. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Right? Out of the goalie group, there's an argument to be had that he was the best goalie of the previous decade. If he wasn't the best, in my mind, it's Lundqvist, but quick would be like two or three because, man, like if you just, if you kind of just came into hockey in the last year or two and you see this guy and he doesn't look like he's anything special, his numbers have been cratering for a while now, but... You know, when he was at his best during those years where the Kings were competitive and winning a couple of cups, he was unbeatable. He was unreal with, um, he could be completely out of position all the time, it looked like, and get right back into it to make the save. Like he, he was kind of as close to anything we've seen to Dominic Hasek since he retired without really being Dominic Hasek, but that yep. kind of unorthodox kind of style that got the job done. But even still, with all of that, out of this entire group, I think I'm taking Marshawn. Yeah. Um, because, and it's not that quick won't get there. I, I think there, we'll see. But I think people got to start getting used to the idea that 
unless something bad happens and he takes a severe age-related decline, Brad Marchand is going to be a Hall of Famer uh, at the end of his career. And he's easy to hate. He's easy to love when he's on your team as well. But when his point total started to take off and he's now you know, an 85 plus point player for a number of years in a row. Um, he's starting to get to that winger Selkie buzz as well. And one of the best agitators in the game who, by the way, and this is the key stat to that, you can be an agitator, but if you're in the box more than anything, you're not really doing any help. He draws more penalties than he takes. So more often than not, Brad Marchand with his antics is helping the Bruins out. Now you could say, you know, he's liable to put them on the penalty kill at a bad moment at the wrong time. And that's for sure. But the whole body of work is just a very well-rounded player in just about every aspect. And so for me, talking about that entire group, even with everything that Quick has accomplished, I'm still coming back to Brad Marchand personally. Round two, some heavy hitters. Um, it's going to come down to I think two guys who've won big time hardware in uh, the very recent past. So the top second rounders just continuing on with the goalies, John Gibson, a stud in Anaheim, Sebastian Ajo has really thrown his name into the mix the past couple of years as he emerges as a number one in Carolina, but who you got the most recent Hart Trophy winner, Nikita Kucherov, or the most recent Conn Smythe winner, Ryan O'Reilly of the St. Louis Blues. Wow. I love O'Reilly, but I think you've got to go with Kucherov there. Yeah. Um, just completely took off. That that Art Ross is kind of the clincher, but it's not the only thing going for him, right? Like he's turned into one of the premier offensive players uh, in the game. And that's not to take anything away from O'Reilly. O'Reilly is one of the best defensive two-way players in the game, right? But he just doesn't bring those same scoring totals. And again, if you're talking about like, these can be all kinds of different discussions, right? Like who's the best player from round two between those guys? Okay, it's it's Kucherov. But if you are saying, I'm putting together a team for game seven of the Stanley Cup final, who are you taking? I think there's a much more serious debate to be had about that. Um, yeah. Not only because O'Reilly is the center, but because game seven of the Stanley Cup final, you need defense and that's what he would give you. So there's a chance um, your power ranking there would go O'Reilly, Yossi, Kucherov. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Yossi to me, he might be the top. Yossi to me right now is, and we went over this last week, is my Norris pick. So we're talking awards, like there's the award for Yossi and and you can make the case that maybe he should have been, have won it or been a finalist a little bit more already by now. So, you know, the Norris is a tough one to get your head around, but um, it's just, you know, talking about the best player. Who would you want to have on your team from game one of the season through the end of it? You just can't shy away from the offense that Kucherov can give you. And it's not like he's a lazy defensive player or anything like that either. I'm going with Kucherov just talking about best player. It's those other conversations that it gets a little bit deeper where I think it gets uh, to be more interesting about who would you take. Hart Trophy, Ted Lindsay, and Art Ross. The hat trick last year for Nikita Kucherov in a monster season. That was fun, Rory. That was a lot of fun. Who's your who's your best uh, round one pick ever? <laughs> Since 2005. Crosby or McDavid, basically. Oh, my God. I uh, Wow. It is tough because you're weighing career accomplishment versus just face-melting 
offensive ability at this point. Um, yeah, we may have to save that one for another day. I, I don't know how you can pick against Sidney Crosby, though, at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. Like, he's done everything from the multiple cups to the golden goal and everything like that, right? So yeah. just there's nothing to say, else he can possibly do. Yeah. Rick Davis still writing his story. <laughs> he sure is. Um, if you want to check out that piece Rory wrote, it is up on sportsnet.ca. And if you want a little more draft content, I did a fun one this week as part of an ongoing what if feature. What if Alex Ovechkin had been born two days earlier and was eligible for the 2003 draft instead of having to wait until 2004, uh, there would have been all kinds of fallout. Yeah, yeah. That one stung me, yes. Spoiler alert, if you're a Florida Panthers fan, you might want to just uh, <laughs> take a pass on that one. I remember when they tried to take him in that draft in the ninth round, Rick Dudley was the GM making that argument, and you touched on this a bit in your story. Yes. That if you account for the leap year days oh my God. that have accumulated here, Ovechkin would have hit that date cutoff and should be eligible, and of course didn't come to pass could have got a ninth round steal in alex ovechkin with those shenanigans <laughs> full full marks for creativity to sure. rick dudley there all right stick around lots more to come we're going to bring in matt porter from the boston globe to talk a little bruins right here on tape to tape Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. We're pleased to be joined now by Matt Porter. Matt covers the Boston Bruins for the Boston Globe. Matt, I have to imagine one of the things that's made quarantine a little more entertaining is seeing the 2011 Boston Bruins, the Stanley Cup champions, get together for a little Zoom chat where let's just say they were all still drinking out of cups. (laughs) This is going to be one of those things that will be spoken about. If you were there, you know. (laughs) <laughs> because if you weren't there, you're not going to see it. The Bruins have made the, it, it was a Zoom call recorded on YouTube where everyone from the 2011 team, except for Nathan Horton and Claude Julian, I think there was the only two guys missing, um, were there. And that includes Tim Thomas and Michael Ryder and all these guys that haven't been seen for years. And they just ripped on each other like no one was watching. And it got to a point where they broke out the vodka uh, there were wars going back and forth, just some absolutely devastating chirps. There was some real over-the-line material, and uh, <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> the whole time, you, ha- you had to be thinking, like, why can't these guys talk like that in the dressing room when I'm there? <laughs> Honestly, you know, I don't have kids, but it really got to a point where you're thinking, okay, I kind of get why they don't want this out there, <laughs> because if I'm a 10-year-old me, I am doing everything I can to stay up late and watch this. And then, boy, is my mind spinning. (laughs) Was there a uh, PG highlight that stood out for you? I would say uh, the the war back and forth between uh, Gregory Campbell and Brad Marchand was great because Campbell, you know, obviously everybody was quite looped up except for a few people, Zidane Ochara and I think Adam McQuaid. I didn't see them drinking much uh, or, or at all, I should say. Campbell just went off on Marchand, you know, just destroying him for, he has this clothing company where he sells hats. And he said, you know, Marchand, you know, you're worth $60 million. Why do you need to do that, bud? Everybody's got to buy a hat. Help out Marchand. He's hurting. 
it was just outstanding. Uh, it, as far as you know, the range of personalities, Milan Lucic was the drunken "I love you guys" uh, guy. <laughs> um, Tim Thomas was you know his normal spacey self. Mark Recchi was kind of like the uncle that you know doesn't want to co-sign on all of this, but he's really secretly enjoying the heck out of it. I mean, I mean, it was just it was outstanding and. You know, even Patrice Bergeron was getting into it, and normally he's, you know, the upstanding citizen. So it was, uh, it was excellent. I enjoyed it immensely. Well, speaking of Marshan, he figures prominently into an exercise Rory did that we talked about in the first block that I want to throw at you here. I mean, the Boston Bruins are obviously one of the very best run teams in the league. They were in a Game 7 for another Stanley Cup just you know 12 months ago basically 10 months ago they were leading the league in terms of the standings when we had this shutdown but when you start looking about how this team is constructed you do kind of scratch your head a little bit so Rory's exercise for this week's edition of the power rankings was to go team by team and figure out who their best draft pick beyond the first round has been in the cap era. And, you know, without really thinking about it, a team like Boston, you think, well, they're never really drafting at the top of the table, save for when Tyler Sagan was their pick second overall in the trade with the Leafs. So they must be killing it outside round one, but it's really only Brad Marchand who has really shone. They've done kind of shockingly not that well since 2005 since Since 2005 2005, in the cap era that's right so obviously Patrice Bergeron just precedes that and I'm guessing Krejci just precedes that as well but then you start looking at the list of guys that this team has traded in the cap era Joe Thornton Phil Kessel Blake Wheeler Tyler Sagan Dougie Hamilton do you ever just look down at the ice and think exactly how did this team become as good as it is yeah, and you think about all of the draft picks, had they just hit on a few of them, imagine the run that they might have had a few more cups, uh, you know, aside from just the one year back in 2011. At the 2015 draft, because of trades, they wound up with three first-round picks in the middle of the first round, and they had 13, 14, 15, and at 15, they got Jake DeBrusque, who's become, you know, an okay player for them. But, you know, <laughs> Zach Senishin, or, or 14, excuse me, Jake DeBrusque, I mean, they drafted Zach Senishin and Jakob Zaborl, who really haven't done anything for them yet, if ever. And Matthew Barzal, Kyle Connor were sitting right there. So you think, you know, had they hit on any of those guys? It's a funny construction as far as a team goes. They've had college free agents like Tory Krug. They've done okay in trades, terribly in some others. You could say that the, you know, the Phil Kessel trade was huge for them because, you know, it got them Sagan, who helped them in a way, win a cup. And, you know, they got uh, Dougie Hamilton as well, who's a good player for them, obviously not the player that he is today. But they've just had this mix of great draft picks before in Bergeron and Krejci, who are just such amazing finds for them. Bergeron, one of the, really one of the best draft picks, you know, in the second round that you can, that you can think of when you think Certainly. of his career. Yep. And so having those guys won two, you know, for the past, you know, decade plus uh, down the middle, <laughs> Obviously, we can talk about Tuka Rask and, you know, the, the trade there. That was a, just a, an inspired bit of thinking there, you know, giving up Andrew Raycroft and getting back Tuka Rask. And, you know, what you could say is the original, the trade is one for one swap. But obviously, uh, you know, nobody really knew, you know, back then, you know, that Tuka would be the goalie that he is today or maybe, you know, didn't expect him to be. Brad Marchand was an excellent find, but 
it's been such an up and down run for them. You know, the core has been in place really, you know, there are four or five guys that have been in place since the 2011 Cup. And then they had a little bit of a dip, but then they've just pieced it together uh, ever since. Really, for me, it comes down it comes down to just Bergeron, Krejci, and of course, Chara, who is, you know, arguably the best, you know, marquee free agent signing, uh, you know, in history when you think about what he's been able to do. In terms of... What comes next, I guess? I mean, it, it, we're in such a weird place right now. Like, this team is very much a Stanley Cup contender if we get back to this season. But I think we're also kind of looking at next season for a lot of these teams as well. And so taking that team building and, and going a step further, if we assume that the cap stays flat, doesn't go up, doesn't go down, whatever, we'll see. The Bruins are going to have some some decisions to make here. Tory Krug is going to be a UFA. I imagine if Zdeno Chara wants to come back, he'll have a new one-year deal with with the team. Yaroslav Halak's been a fantastic backup goalie, kind of in a tandem there with Rask, and he's got an expiring contract too. So, um, you know, if the cap stays flat, how do you see this team dealing with that? And is there anybody on the roster that you would maybe identify as a possible trade candidate to make room for somebody that they want to keep or potentially bring in? It's going to be difficult. They're in a decent spot, all things considered, because really, and this, when you talk about team building, when you're able to sign, you know, what has become an elite first line, you know, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and David Pasternak, who, I mean, geez, I, I know the exercise, Rory, was, you know, draft picks uh, in the second round, third round, et cetera. But Boy, what a find at number 25 he was for the yeah. Bruins. Mm-hmm. When, when you have all those three guys under $7 million per year on long-term deals, and, and, and really, you know, that, the strength of that is Bergeron, who could have gotten a ton more. This, you know, he signed when you know, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane were making $10 million. He's you know, in it uh, 6.875. You, know, you can do so much with that. And their highest paid... Uh, player is David Krejci at 7.25 million. So they just haven't had, you know, the big money deals that, you know, sometimes they work out, but obviously they're going to hurt you, um, you know, with your roster flexibility. When they think about signing Tory Krug, who is up and, and he's, you know, the big one, he's 5.25 million now, probably, you know, 7 million guy, maybe an 8 million guy. Uh, I'm not really sure that the Bruins can afford that. You know, do you, they have such a, a framework established? Does he take a little bit of a haircut, you know, to stay home, uh, so to speak? That's a possibility, and boy, they they sure hope that he will. But he's well within his rights to take a lot more money. So I don't know what you do there because you can't give him, you know, eight million over seven years because Charlie McAvoy, who right now is at four point nine, a very reasonable number, uh, he's coming up in two years. So. He's going to maybe be a, a seven, eight million guy. It's a bit of a challenge, you know. Zidane's at two million now, and he's, you know, not going to be making more than that at age forty-three, going into his, you know, age forty-four season, uh, which is just remarkable to say that he can still be an effective top four guy, you know, even at his age. So you're going to have to make decisions like letting, you know, Halak walk and hope that a uh, backup, you know, provides you some of what Halak gave you as a one B goalie with Rask to, as a one A. This year, that was such a great tandem uh, over the last two years. Excuse me. In the forward ranks, you're you're basically you're leaning on your your top guys and a guy like Charlie Coyle, who's really you know upped his status and become a solid middle six guy for them at a at a pretty good price. And hoping that you know young guys uh, from Providence 
and you know, kind of your under 23 group uh, pulls their weight for cheap money. That's uh, kind of the way that they have to make it work until they're, you know, entering possible uh, rebuild mode, you know, as Bergeron and Krejci and Rask and obviously Chara uh, reach the end of the road. Well, you segued perfectly into my next question. Do you feel like we really are at the end of the window here? I mean, Rory and I talk all the time about how windows can be so fleeting. Windows to win in the NHL, you've got to jump through with both feet when they're open. And clearly Boston is at the all-in phase. But you look at, I mean, you mentioned age 44 season, not a term you hear all the time. Patrice Bergeron, amazing still, but man, so many hard miles on that 35 year old body you know we hear Tuka Rass saying he might be ready to retire at the end of his contract next season because he doesn't see his family at all and he's into his 30s does it feel like we are approaching the end of the arc for this group yes yeah, certainly as constituted because you know the, the way that they were built back in the day you know under Claude Julian was you know down the middle and defense out and that meant having a one-two in Krejci and Bergeron. Obviously, they've flip-flopped in the last couple of years with Bergeron's rise as an offensive player. You have your bedrock defenseman in Chara, and then the goaltending back then, Tim Thomas, and, and now Tuka Rask. And that's going to change because they don't have replacements on the roster or in the system, at least right now, for Bergeron and Krejci. Charlie McAvoy looks like he will be a, you know your stud number one defenseman. And you know they're hopeful that they can get a goaltender you know, the, beyond Tuka Rask, but right now that's not there. So it's going to be a different looking team for sure. But Bruce Cassidy, the coach has shown that he can, you know, work with these pieces and, and likes to play the speed game and, and can get them to buy into, you know, his system, you know, of layers on defense and, and the way that they like to attack. So that's all good. And, you know, they've drafted to that. So hopefully, you know, th- there's going to be some kind of leadership void. I think that's pretty clear. And, you know, that leadership's one of the kind of those nebulous terms. But when you talk to everybody in that organization from, you know, guys like Brad Marchand uh, and David Pasternak and Tori Krug to, you know, just newcomers that are on there on a development camp invite, they all talk about how, you know, Zidane Ochara and Patrice Bergeron set the tone. That's the way it's been. It's a locker room that Bruce Cassidy does not touch. He, he does, really doesn't do anything with them. He lets those two mm. guys run the room. And that's pretty rare. You know, I do think that the window is closing. The, the question is, you know, can Brad Marchand and David Pasternak, Charlie McAvoy, Charlie Coyle, you know, maybe you're throwing in guys like Jake DeBrusque there. You know, he's, he's a, a potential, you know, core piece. But certainly, you know, Tory Krug, you know, could be a part of that core and help uh, bridge the gap into whatever the future is. Or, you know, he could, uh, he could leave and, you know, be part of somebody else's rebuild, like a Detroit or a Chicago you know, near the Midwest, you know, where he's from. It's going to be a fascinating story to cover because it's remarkable that they've made it this long, but I can't imagine that uh, Zidane Char is going to be 50 years old still giving uh, pregame speeches. One of the other things we've been touching on these last couple of weeks is award conversations. And when I was filling out my questionnaire the other week, Matt, I got to the Vesna. And, you know, Connor Hellebuck has got a really, really strong case going for him. And that's who I ended up landing on. But when I was looking at it, it was a lot closer. You know, number two to me wasn't even Andre Vasilevsky. It was it was Tuka Rask. He, his numbers were outstanding, better than I realized they were. I knew he had a strong year, but 
just some fantastic numbers. Um, where do you land on that? And do you think there is a case to be made that Rask maybe should be the guy we're looking at for the Vesna right now? Well, he would be number two for me right now, I mean, just because of the, the heavy lifting that Hellebuck's done. I mean, sure. I, I yep. don't think with the Jets, I mean, in their defense and the losses and just all that turmoil, I and mean, he's been absolutely a rock for them. Rask, I think, you know, kind of a little bit like Bergeron in the 2011, 12, 13, kind of that era when people started to to kind of really realize the impact of numbers and how, you know, he was kind of one of those first analytics guys, really, right? And people started looking at Corsi back in the day and said, oh my God, like other teams don't get a shot when this guy's on the ice. Rask is kind of, for the, the goalie split kind of era, people are starting to realize that, you know, okay, well, Tuka Rask didn't play 60 games, but He's been outstanding. He's clearly their number one. You know, do you look at kind of what he did in the playoffs last year? You realize that this guy is a Vezina candidate because his numbers are outstanding. I mean, he's by far number one in goal saved above average. He's best in save percentage. I think he's second in, or he's either one, two in, in save percentage and goals against. You know, the thing he doesn't have is the counting wins like Andre Vasilevsky, but that's okay. I mean, he's, for me, I mean, I've, I've watched this guy dominate from October to the pause, um, when usually he's pretty slow in the first half of the season. It's all the more impressive given the run that he went on last year. You know, he played every game in the playoffs. They went as deep as you can go, and he was outstanding, and he's continued to be outstanding. So he's ahead of Vasilevsky, but uh, definitely got to give it to uh, Hellebuck. He's just been incredible. All right, Matt. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Stay safe, and hopefully we get another online drinking reunion soon to entertain us all. <laughs> I uh, that, that, for me, was uh, outstanding content, as is this. So thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was Matt Porter of the Boston Globe. Thanks so much to Matt for joining us today. Thanks to our producer, Michael Mares. Thanks to my co-host, Rory Boylan. Everyone, stay safe out there. If you want to check out Matt's Twitter feed, he did have... Uh, some of the barbs, including you-know-who, a certain goalie with an awesome Twitter feed from the uh, Team Boston Beat in 2011, the Vancouver Canucks, chiming in with his usual hilarity. So uh, go to Matt's feed, at Matty Ports, and make sure you check back next week for more Glass Rattling Hockey action on Tape to Tape.